Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey guys, so um, we're going to do something a little different, uh, and hopefully we're going to do it a, a handful more times on this uh, mini-series. Um, this week we've got, up front, we have uh, a really great episode with uh, Sarah Watson where we talk about The Fugue, uh, which is episode, I believe it's like uh, one, uh, 117, I don't know, 115, I don't know what number it is, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But um, uh, we got Sarah up front, and then we were lucky enough to get an interview with Lawrence Trilling, who directed the episode as well, and has actually directed 14 episodes of Felicity over the course of its series. So we have an episode we have a, a another episode at the end with him uh where we talk about what it was like directing this episode so uh, stick around for that as well welcome to podcast like it's 1999 i'm your host phil Iskov, and today uh i'm thrilled to say that we have uh, sarah watson here to talk about episode 116 the fugue uh sarah is the uh was the executive producer creator of the bull type ep of parenthood as well as the author of the ya book most likely which is available anywhere that you buy books. So uh, where were you in 1999, Sarah? I, um, I had just graduated from college. So I was getting my first job in television when Felicity was about to go on the air. That's amazing. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what do you think about this show kind of, why did you like this show back then? Why did we all like this show back then? What do you think was so special about it? 
Well, I think my into it was probably a little different than most people because I think mo- a lot of people loved it because they were a little younger than Felicity. And so they were in love with this wish fulfillment idea of college. Sure. Or they were 10 years older than Felicity and they had this nostalgia for those times. Whereas I was one year out of college and like so excited to be an adult and so excited to be working in TV. Right. But, but the, in 1999, as you well know, we were sort of at this tail end of the era of the sitcom. And it really was this huge change. I, um, I did not set out to be a TV writer. I kind of stumbled my way into it. I was an English major at UCLA and I had met people who were working in entertainment. But all the TV writers I knew were like these Harvard Lampoon guys who, you know, wrote on these sitcoms and like got agents right out of college. And like, it's not the kind of TV I would ever, you know, I like some sitcoms, but it just wasn't, wasn't anything I could ever see myself doing. Sure. And then Felicity came on the air. (laughs) And I truly, I think Felicity might have been one of the first TV pilots, if not the first TV pilot I ever read before I saw it on TV. That's really interesting. Yeah. So it was a huge, and also like going to UCLA, I took a couple film classes just to fulfill electives and it was all film majors. And so they were talking about these, you know, Krzysztof Kieslowski movies and, um, my, my, look, I love those, you know, but it's just, there's, there was this pompousness and where my tastes, I think tend to be a yeah. little more mainstream. And so I remember interviewing for my very first job. Um, I worked for a talent manager and we, she, we were talking about shows we watch and shows we were excited about. And she said, have you seen the ads for this new show Felicity? And when I was like, oh, okay, finally, this this type of television that I'm so excited about, because you and I are kind of similar writers in that we love character stuff and small moments. And they're just that, you know, there had been my so-called life and 30 something, which I was uh, I was a little too young for that when it aired. So they're just they're it was the very beginning of shows like this. And so for me, Felicity was kind of the doors opening to the potential for me to do this. So I think my, my perspective is different. No, hundred percent. And it's, it's really interesting because watching this show again um, is first of all, it's it's very comforting. It's a very, it's just, especially now in the, in the, you know, uh, walking nightmare that we're in, it's, it's very nice to be able to enjoy something that, that is nostalgic, but also very comforting. But, but watching it, I thought a lot about shows like parenthood, you know, shows that are, that find a way to be earnest and not treacly, find a way to be real and grounded and have these characters that feel three dimensional, but also be heightened and also feel like television. Like it's, it's a real balancing act. And a lot of shows veer in one direction or the other, and very few can find a balance between those things. And Felicity, and and in your writing, you can see that that that's something that obviously you cherish. But but I think it's it's hard. <laughs> like it's it's hard yeah. to do well. And it was really fun to go back and watch this episode because I forgot how small the storylines were on Felicity. <laughs> and I mean that sounds like a dig, but it is such a compliment because they really yeah. you were so invested in the characters that these small moves felt huge. And yeah. that's really hard to do. 
Well, especially now where the yeah. landscape of television has changed so much, where plot seems to be so much yeah. more important, um, which is a shame. You know, it's it's funny. This show at the time, a lot of people kind of made fun of it for um, for its pregnant pauses, for like sitting in moments. And which, as you know now, like all the air is taken out of everything. Yeah. Like, everything yeah. needs to be just moving a mile a minute. And it's so rewarding as a viewer to sit and watch a show like this where it just allows you to sit in a moment with two characters, a quiet moment with inevitably some sort of a 90s music in the background. But still, <laughs> like, it's great. I mean, it, you feel the tension. You feel yeah. huge tension in these really small moments, which is just yeah. such a treat to watch. I agree. I mean, this is... uh Without a doubt, probably my top five favorite Felicity episodes, I think. Not just yeah. <laughs> because I think it really does. This is the show working at sort of all of its strengths, right? Which is it has uh, it has all that drama. It has all that soapy drama that yeah. the show obviously did very well. But again, small moments allows for these things to feel earth shattering um, because at that time in your life, they were earth shattering. I mean, these Absolutely. were big really deals. Um, so, uh, I'm just going to give a very brief synopsis of the episode. Um, so Noel is confused about his feelings for his ex played by Jennifer Garner, uh, when they reconnect after a kiss. Uh, also an art student played by Simon Rex, uh, admires Felicity's work and invites her to the studio and Julie clashes with Ben's new friends from the swim team. The Fugue aired on March 2nd, 1989. It was written by J.J. Abrams and Ed Redlick and was directed by Lawrence Trilling, someone that I think oh, I know. worked yeah. with on, on Parenthood. Uh, so, you know, Jennifer Garner first appears on the show in 1998. So her, her character does appear in the Thanksgiving episode at the tail end of, of the year previous to this. But um, her character, and obviously her as an actress who will become a very big deal uh, with JJ moving on to Alias, obviously, um, she is so perfectly suited for this world. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. she, the, the way she comes in and feels seismic feels like a, a presence has come into this show. Um, did you feel the same way about her character? Yes. And also the thing that I really noticed in the rewatch is how similar she is to Felicity. Like <laughs> she, she's very quiet. She's introspective. She's nerdy. She's awkward. And I thought that was a really interesting choice because obviously the, the, the cliche version would have been like the super hot, big boob, like very different from Felicity. Yeah, and instead yeah. it's like they brought in like probably like the girl who tested against Carrie Russell for the show, you know, which is a choice, right? I mean, yeah. that, that speaks volumes about how they saw this universe. It's wonderful. It's also really funny too. And I'm, I'm sure that everyone has heard this story at nauseum, but you know, season two of Felicity, they struggled to find story uh, for whatever reason, they were just having a really hard time with her sophomore year. And JJ apparently said, can't we just make her a spy, which is how <laughs> yes. alias ultimately <laughs> comes to be. Uh, and then he casts Jennifer Garner, which is literally, I mean, it, it's yeah. just, it's, it's so funny to look at those first couple episodes of Alias and think to yourself, it really is Felicity, but she's a spy. <laughs> it, and it's so funny, too, because you're like, oh, Noel has a type and JJ has a type. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Yes. And uh, yeah, it, it would seem that uh, uh, that Scott Foley has a type as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, right. uh, it, it's... Uh, She's fantastic. I mean, it goes without saying that Jennifer Garner's a tremendous talent. Um, but to your point, the the believability that she imbues in a character that is there to destroy a relationship, yes. <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, is is really special. I mean, it's it's really something um, 
you know, you've worked with guest actors, you've worked with guest roles that are, that come in and are, are basically just grenades for story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she really brings something special to that. No, and you're not necessarily rooting for Felicity in it, yeah, which yeah. was really interesting to go back and watch that. It's especially in those quiet scenes that they have together when Felicity has to come face to face with the fact that this is a person. Yeah. And not just, you know, um, a catalyst. It's, it's, it's really great. I also, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for stuff like this, but I love that the episode is called the fugue. It's called the fugue because Hannah is, is working on this piece of music, which is about two opposing things coming together into, into one piece of music. Um, and I, I don't know. I love those sort of title metaphors. I love how it yeah. works for the show. I, I love that this episode is about the fusion of art and love and how those things intersect. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's smart, but it's heartfelt. I don't know. I just, I, I kind of love that stuff. Um, so how do we feel about, about Felicity and Noel's relationship. I mean, <laughs> at, at, at this stage and sort of in general, what are your feelings about it? Well, it's re- it was it's very funny to go back and watch. And I did a rewatch of like ha- I think about half the first season of Felicity about a year ago. Okay, just out of nowhere, and it was streaming somewhere, and then it stopped streaming. It was on Hulu and it got okay, yeah. yeah, okay. So I think I made it through halfway, and then they yanked it. So yeah. like for this episode, I had to go buy it. So I hadn't watched this one probably since it aired. Um, Yeah, but I remembered it very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I was steadfastly team Noel when I was in my 20s. (laughs) Watching it now, I'm like, what a dick. (laughs) Like, what a dick. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's not a great look for Noel a little bit. (laughs) And like, yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. Elena, what's up? Like, be a supportive, like, like when she's just like trying yeah. to hide it. So he yeah. can, I'm like, wait, there are a lot of questionable choices. And like, yeah. I just, I remember very clearly watching it and being like, Felicity, fight for your man. And watching it now as an adult and sort of like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, dump his ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's... It's really funny because the, the, the love triangle at this show, which I would argue is, is the wind in the sails of how it got through four seasons of television yeah. is the fact that they cast it really well and that we actually were weirdly rooting for both of these guys in a weird way. But watching it now, I'm just like, Ben's kind of adult. Like he's sweet. He's like a <laughs> golden retriever, he's but he's an idiot. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Noel is a smart guy who's got real self-esteem issues and is constantly sort of doing things that are not great. Yes. So <laughs> terrible, it's, it's terrible weird. things. Noel, like great. what are you doing? <laughs> it's also, it gets worse in the episode after this, which I don't know if you watched the one after it, but that's not, re- it went not on like a, a six week break after this. And then it came back with the post you know, the, the fallout. And she tells him and then he's a dick about it, right? He's a yeah. dick. He gets drunk and he tries to have sex with her. It's just like, it's, oh, it's that's not so rapey. Great. It's not great. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's bad, <laughs> but it's, it's also just a symptom of the but time. It's, so, it's also so college. It's but so college. Too, right? Yeah. These, these feel like college moves. These are things yeah. that would happen in college. But I also think that, um, my takeaway from this show, and, and, and in the pilot, I talked about this a little bit with Emily Vanderwerf, but this idea of a female central character 
of a show. Like when you're, when your lead is a female, it feels like on some level there is a prerequisite necessity for some sort of a romance. Mm-hmm. And, and that the show at the end, she needs to end up with somebody, which is kind of a bummer to me. Yeah. And, and I yeah. still feel like we still live in that a little bit. And, and, oh, and totally. You know, the, the two that I talked about with Emily were, was Felicity and uh, Carrie Bradshaw, which also feels like a character that in my version of Sex and the City, she just would not have ended up with a guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with this, Felicity feels like she's pulled in two directions when really all you're hoping for, and also almost subtextually, the show is really about her trying to find independence, trying to figure yeah. out who she is as a person. Well, I I always looked through it looked at it through the lens of, you know, she followed Ben, not because she, I mean, I feel like a lot of people feel like this, not because she necessarily was in love with Ben, but she needed an excuse to step outside of her life. She needed an excuse. And, and sometimes you're going to cling to the man for that excuse and then find yourself. So I actually thought it was a really interesting way to do it. And I, I love what he wrote in her yearbook in the pilot. And it, I don't know if other people notice this or if this makes me a genius, but it reminds me so much of that moment in Say Anything, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, when Ione Skye is reading the things that all the people wrote in her yearbook, and all of them were like, I wish I'd known you. I never got to know you. And she's realizing she kind of missed her whole high school experience. And so I almost feel like this whole show was if Ione Skye rather than ending up with John Cusack <laughs> had been like, I, I want to live in, like, I want to be a part of this social world. I want to, which is what Felicity Be a part does. of your world. Like, yeah. Ariel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's a, a perfect illusion. I, I think that first of all, Felicity and, uh, and Ioni's guy do seem to have sort of similarities in a lot of ways. Totally. Totally. I like to the point that I wondered the first time I saw it, I was like, did JJ Abrams, was it inspired by that moment? I mean, it would not shock me. Anything. Yeah. Cause they, they have a, I think that they're underneath a lot of JJ stuff is a, is a Cameron Crowey kind of earnestness yeah. and, a, and a big heartedness, which I, which I, it would not shock me if that was, if that was the case. It's, it's, it's funny what you're saying about how Ben was an excuse, you know, Ben was a reason mm-hmm. to shake up her life, which she needed. Um, on the commentary, uh, that JJ and Matt Reeves do on the pilot, actually on the DVDs, which I listened to, they talk a little bit about this idea of how they kind of got tagged with this anti-feminist idea, which really for them, it was the opposite. Like they actually yeah. saw it as, as, a, as a, as Felicity finding her independence and finding her voice and finding her spine and all those sort of things. So it is interesting how, I mean, 20 years of distance and, and a whole bunch of different lenses to look at this show. It's, it's a lot bolder than I think people gave it credit for back in its, in its moment. Totally um, agree. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, so to talk about the, the, um, the episode a little bit more, but just sort of, so I, I let, let's just kind of break down the big, the big thing that happens in this episode, which is that uh, Felicity loses her virginity to Eli, <laughs> Simon uh, Rex, who I also have worked, who I also have worked with. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, nice. I'm sure he's lovely. <laughs> no, he was totally lovely. I, it was my one of my very first staff writer jobs a million oh, years so ago funny. in Australia. So it was, I was like, oh, wow. oh you, yeah, Felicity lost her virginity to you. That's how I know you. <laughs> By the way, I, I think it's probably how he might be uh, known 
to yeah. a lot of people as the person that, uh, that, yeah, it, he's, um, <laughs> he's a little bit wooden in this, mm-hmm. um, but he's very pretty and I understand yes. why. He's very WB. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's got puka shell necklace. He's yeah. Got, like he's, it's just, yeah. So, but I, I appreciated that. And, and I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this, the, the, the way that they delicately handle Felicity's virginity, just sort of in general, which is to not sort of make it seem too grandiose, but also mm-hmm. it's a big deal. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a rite of passage or however you want to call it. And I think that, um, that it'd be a big deal to Felicity, which is why it's a big deal in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they handle it pretty um, deftly. I don't know how you feel about it. I loved the way they handled it. I remember even at the time, because you think it's going to lead up to this huge thing of it's either going to be Ben or it's going to be Noel. And then to have it just be this total rando in the art studio, I just thought was so smart and so real. And I don't, I don't, maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly because I haven't seen the later episodes since they aired, but doesn't Sally, when she's giving a cassette tape back to Felicity talk about like her experience was sort of similar. And, you know, we put these huge weights on this thing and it's almost like, like it, it makes me think of um, Amy Heckerling, the way she got the job um, directing. Um, what Fast times. Thank you. Fast times at Ridgemont high. She uh, directed a short wrote and directed a short called getting it over with, <laughs> because there is this like, like, just get it over with and then we can move on and then you can go deal with Ben or Noel. But like, if you're going to pick one of them, it's going to be this like, just the level of magnitude on it. And like, yep. just go screw the hot art guy. That's <laughs> you go girl. Like, that's the first feminist thing yeah. you did this whole episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I totally agree that, that they, that, they tear off the band-aid a little bit. Yeah. They, they zig <laughs> what you a think. Terrible metaphor. <laughs> Sorry. But like they zig what you think they're going to zag and they do something that we just didn't think, didn't expect to happen. Um, it, it also is, uh, the re- one of the reasons that I love the episode is it, it is sort of the first time that the two paths really become apparent because you have that line that Ben says to her later in the episode where he says, Noel would never choose to be with someone else when he could be with you. And it's the first kind of moment where you get the impression that Ben, I don't know that he's even conscious of having feelings for Felicity at this point. I mean, he certainly will be. I don't think he's ever conscious of a feeling. Like he just floats through life. Uh, Yeah. It all seems like everything's going to be fine for Ben all the time. Like he's just that really, you know, popular, good looking guy that just everything seems to work out for. But But I, but I do like that this is sort of when the two paths really kind of diverge or there's really sort of a sense of Ben or Noel for mm-hmm. Felicity. And I like that she chooses door number three. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes. Like, screw all y'all. <laughs> it's, and like, it's Noel crazy. deserved it. Like, what a yeah. dick. It's not, uh, yeah. It's also, you know, there's this element to, and again, this is a little bit of, um, a lot of men wrote this show. So it mm-hmm. should be said that it did have a, you know, it had a diverse staff. And a, a, and a fake 19 year old. <laughs> which is the best story ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is as, you know, as you and I being TV writers, the idea of that happening 
is it's crazy. Bonkers. And like, try to imagine that happening like in the internet age. I know. Oh God. And she like made her mom lie for her too. Yeah. It's the best. It's the yeah. best. Um, but yeah, so this, this, there are a lot of dudes in this room, right? And, and they seem like, you know, relatively, uh, um, you know, beta guys, but still yeah. like they're guys. And, and it does feel a little bit like at times Noel acts like a dude, which is the way he should, but it also makes him stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and does shitty things. But, um, so in the previous episode or a couple episodes ago, uh, Javier had left the show. Um, yeah, cause he, his pilot got picked up, right? His pilot got picked up. But then he <laughs> <laughs> went away and then he came back as a regular. It's great. Yeah, uh, yeah, that happens. <laughs> uh, Ian Gomez left the show briefly, then he comes back. Um, <clears throat> but in the process, they bring in a new manager, Dina DeLuca, played by Alexandra Wentworth, who is pretty funny, but I just love Javier and I kind of I yeah. miss him, if I'm being honest. But Oh, totally. He was such great comic relief and... Yes. She, you know, I, I get what they were doing with her character, like the, I, but I, there is something funny too about like the hard-assed Dina DeLuca manager, like low stakes, low yeah. stakes publicity. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's also interesting too that it does feel like Dina DeLuca. My only association is Felicity. Like that sto- that whole yeah. chain only exists in my mind because of Felicity. But I also didn't, you know. Well, I, I had never been to New York, um, before I, I didn't go to New York for several years after Felicity first aired. Um, I, I I did not grow up in a very cultured family. So, um, I, I was 25 the first time I went to New York and I needed to go to Dean and DeLuca. (laughs) Like that was like a thing I had to do. And then. I, years later, when I was in my early 30s, I lived there for a year writing on a TV show. And there was a Dean and DeLuca right around the corner from me. So I went all the time. And it's impossible to walk in there and not think of Felicity. <laughs> Just as they would have wanted. Because I imagine yeah. they paid a lot of money for that uh, product placement. <laughs> oh, they must. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But it worked. Like, it's, it does. It also... It's interesting too. I don't know if you feel this way, but I certainly do. Which is that as a viewer, when it's a made-up place or some generic kind of coffee shoppy thing or whatever, it just never feels real to me. Yeah. If if it yeah. doesn't exist in the universe that I exist in, it just feels, you know, like I think about the the girls on uh, on Sex and the City, whatever the hell that weird place they ate all the mm-hmm. time was. Um, I mean, even something or like the pi- the piping cup on Parenthood, which was just on the Universal back lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, or, or Central Perk. Like again, yeah. I, I there's a way to do it, but um I love that this is a real chain that she works. Although on. it's interesting because when Felicity first aired, since I had never been to New York before, I didn't know it was real. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think by the time I did go to New York, I knew it was real, but uh, sure. before I saw it, but there was like a oh my god, like the uniforms are the same. Oh my, you know. Cuz yeah. again, this is all like very early days of the internet, so it's not like you're <laughs> seen pictures of it. Nobody was Instagramming Dean and DeLuca. It's true. It's true. Uh, so uh, let's just talk a little bit about uh, about Julie and uh, Ben's storyline, which is that Julie is working on some new songs because... With her like- crazy psychedelic guitar. <laughs> 
I I feel bad because I do feel like I rag on Julie's character. Um, and I don't think that it's Amy Jo Johnson's fault. And I don't even really think that the writing is terrible for her character by any means. It just feels like in comparison to the other stuff that's going on in the show, it just always feels a little bit like the writer's room being like, well, we need a storyline for Julie this week. Well, what I think... I think what's hard, what must have been hard about breaking stories for her is again, she's another character who is just like Felicity. <laughs> she's shy, introspective, a little bit nerdy. And so I think characters like Elena or Megan, who are so different than Felicity, you can, you can tell these stories, but it's like by the time you break a story for Felicity, you're like, Oh, well, we did all the shy, introspective girl stuff already. So let's like, let, she'll go play a song in a coffee shop. Because <laughs> she can sing. <laughs> like, I mean, it's. It, I, I fully agree. It's interesting because so she she does get the the and I hate to use this moniker, but she does get the rape storyline earlier yeah. in the season, which is I, I thought handled pretty well considering the time and considering you know what what sort of uh, minefield they were kind of trying to navigate at the time. Um, but that kind of goes away, and then it becomes oh, Julie was adopted. Yeah, And it just, they, they feel, or certainly the adopted stuff can feel tropey if it's not handled right. And I think they did a, again, I think they did a pretty good job, but it, it really just to your point shines a bright light on the fact that is her character that different from what's going on with everybody else? Um, yeah, it's like Ben in choosing Julie over Felicity. He's like, I'll just go with the straight haired one. <laughs> I'll go with the shorter one. <laughs> yes, I'll go with the shorter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. It's, it's also just, um, you know, when she's singing, it's, it's really funny because generally speaking, the Julie writes a song or Julie, you know, is strumming her guitar on the couch or whatever. I often kind of go like, I just don't care that much. This episode worked, this storyline in this episode worked, and I think part of it had to do with the Lynn component of it. Mm-hmm. Playing it off of Ben and these kind of broy swim guys and thinking that Lynn is just one of those types of guys and then turning that on its head a little bit and him being self-conscious enough to have that conversation with her at the end is great. Yeah, and it's interesting because it because Ben is like the the broy guy who just floats along <laughs> with this, no pun intended floats yep. along with the yep. swim team guys, and so Lynn is kind of like Ben, but with a soul and with like a lens for looking at things a little more smartly. I, I it's it's absolutely true that he feels um, oddly wise. Yeah, <laughs> in a way, in a way that Ben is not. Well, he just seems observant. Like Ben is just a guy who things like come to him, and like he makes choices and they work. Whereas this yeah. guy seems a little more thoughtful. I, I fully agree with that. I also one of the things that they did with Julie that I did like. Um, it didn't necessarily lead to much story, but I liked Sean getting a crush on her, and then Julie shooting him down which is mm-hmm. something most shows wouldn't necessarily do. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then ultimately, you know, Sean starts dating Megan, Megan, who I honestly think might be the, my MVP of this entire television show. <laughs> and isn't that JJ Abrams ex-girlfriend or something? Am I remembering that I don't, right? I, maybe Amanda Foreman and him dated. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't speak to that. Okay. It's possible. Thought, no, right. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm putting some terrible rumor out there. I don't know. I thought they were, I, 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 I thought they I, went way back or something. 
I mean, it's certainly it's certainly possible. This was way long ago, so it's hard to say. I have no idea, but I do think that she uh, that Amanda Foreman brings this, um, and you mentioned it earlier, but brings a different energy, brings this sort of prickly character. Yes. That kind of, it's just is really really funny. Oh, and uh, she did a couple episodes on Parenthood for us, season one. Oh, did she? I completely oh, forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think she's popped up in some other in some of JJ's other stuff too. Yeah, um, yeah. I just it, it's. I'm sure writing for Megan was what all the writers wanted to be. Oh, I'm sure it was so fun. Yeah. So it's like, do you want to like break a big Megan story or do you want to break a big Julie story? Like you're going to go Megan. Go Megan every time. Yeah. Um, So I think there's something kind of very WB, very nineties about Ben's gambling addiction, starting with him playing darts. (laughs) It's just, I mean, sure. It's just so low stakes. It's, uh, and I can just like, I could feel the, like the WB, like network note. Like, you know, John Litvak was just like screaming at the writers. Like <laughs> we need, so- we need a hook. Like we need something promotable. Like can't, they're like, okay, we've covered rape. We've done like we- gambling. Oh, gambling will do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so we're now at the point where Hannah kisses Noel from the cab. Which is about sort of midway through, which is not cool of Hannah to do that. (laughs) Not cool at all. However, like, Uh let's not blame the lady. Like, Noel (laughs) went out there with her. Noel was giving her signals. Like, I do not fault her for a second for making a play for him. (laughs) Like, not one (laughs) second. It goes both ways. She's not friends with Felicity. It's not like Julie made a play for him. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Sure. I mean, that's true. I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where, as it, I agree with you that that he's lingering in that window for a oh, little. Oh, he's too waiting long. for it. Yeah, he's waiting for it, and then she does it. Um, I do like when he tells Felicity about it, and she's like, "How long was it?" And he does it for, her and she's like, "It's a pretty long kiss." That was pretty long. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think that Carrie Russell has tremendous comedic timing. Oh, she's fantastic! Yeah, people don't utilize it as much as they should. She's really funny on this show. Uh, ben starts calling Julie "dude," <laughs> <laughs> which also feels very apropos. Um, so here's another sort of question: I feel like when Noel is with Hannah, he feels like a grown-up, and when he's with Felicity, he feels like a college student. Hmm. Interesting. I can see I, th- that. There's, there's something about um, what Felicity perhaps brings out in him that he enjoys, which is that it makes him feel perhaps more carefree or I don't know what yeah. it is, but there's something there about that. Um, <laughs> Eli saying to Felicity, you're really smart about this stuff really speaks volumes about him as a character. Not a smart guy. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> no. I uh, I like when so so now we're at the scene where Noel is sort of having a a real conversation with Felicity about um him questioning oh, their relationship. I guess. Is this in the dorm room after like Elena tries to keep it from Felicity? We can't gloss over that. No, we please, need to please, d- yeah. like <laughs> like what the hell? Like Felicity has the worst. Friends, like I know they didn't have phones then, but like Elena should have been waiting at that elevator to be like, 
girl, your dude is in there with that whore, that cello whore. <laughs> like, let's go bust some heads. And instead, she's like, let's go get ice cream. Let's get a hot cocoa. Like, no. It's not okay. No, I agree. I don't know what, I mean, I, I it's, this is the first episode where it feels like things are piling up against Felicity a little bit. Yeah. Which I'm sure was a choice because it, it, it feels like they're forcing her into this direction with Eli rather than maybe necessarily making as much of a choice as it, yeah. as it maybe could have been. But to your point, it does feel like everyone's doing shitty things to Felicity in this episode. Yeah. And it's just like, is that the relationship you want your friend to have? That just felt so weird to me. And then just like the fact that like Noel just like walks out of the room with Hannah and they look at each other and yep, like yeah. no big deal. It's yeah. I, I don't know what Elena's motives are exactly in this episode. Uh, it's not to be a great friend though. No. And, and you then have sort of Noel and Felicity have this conversation where Felicity in classic Felicity form is kind of willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And he continues to dig himself a hole. And um, then he goes with her. Yeah. <laughs> like, WTF? Like, yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's not great. I, I do love when she says, um, when he says to her, we were just talking and she says, don't underestimate talking. Why are you using my name when you talk to me? You never, yeah, do. yeah, like, great observational writing. I also wondered though if that was like a dig on Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Like, I am not even kidding, because, you know what, because it, like, Joey's always like, come along, Dawson, like, come on, Dawson, hi, Pacey, like, they use each other's names so, so much. much, and I I sort of wondered if that was, like, the... the I, I hope so, that'd Dawson. be really funny. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's possible. I, I mean, more than anything, I just love how observant Felicity yeah. is of but the world around her and and even just of herself like it's it, later in the episode when uh you know when when the episode is uh forgive the the uh, analogy but crescendoing and she calls him she calls from the no payphone yeah. from the payphone as like a if he picks up i won't do it and he doesn't pick yeah. up and she's like fuck it <laughs> game on which which i appreciate but again like that's a, a, an inner sort of uh, understanding of yourself that she has that is rare, I guess, in a in a television character, I feel like. Well, also in that, that dorm room scene with Noel, it is sort of classic Felicity in that she just says everything she's thinking and feeling, which is like... <laughs> Like, ordinarily, like, I feel like if I had been in that situation, I'd been, been like, oh, no big deal. Like, go. I totally trust you. Like, no, I'm cool. Like, I'm the cool girl. Like, don't worry about me. Like, yeah, I'll be, yeah. I'm going to go get a hot cocoa with Elena. Like, <laughs> it's completely yeah. fine. Yeah, no, it's all, it's all good. It's great. Um, so I do appreciate that she's vulnerable and puts herself out there. So then for Ben to be like, all right, I'm going with my Hannah now. Like, it's like, what? <laughs> it, it also, this is a, sort of a prime example of something that I feel like was pretty rampant in nineties television, which is the sort of breakup. That's in a weird moral gray zone where both sides yeah. are kind of in the right and kind of in the wrong, which I'm assuming from a writing perspective, just, allows you the freedom to be able to put them back together again if you need to. But I think they do a pretty good job for it, of it here. 
Yeah. And also I think, cause I, you know, I know this is sort of your character philosophy too, but I, I come from like the Kadams camp of everybody very much best foot forward and people make bad decisions, but aren't really bad people, at least not the people in these universes. And yeah. so I do feel like even though Ben was making all these bad decisions, you still like him or not, sorry, not Ben, no. but, yeah, well, no. both of yeah. them, but <laughs> everyone on the show, but it, there's so much great drama to come from good characters making dumb decisions and making I bad couldn't decisions agree more. and thoughtless decisions. Cause you can, if you have a straight villain who does that, you just hate them. But when you have somebody a little, you see the conflictedness in, in Noel. You absolutely do. And, and, and as unfair as I think it is for him to ask Felicity to wait for him, which I think is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also, understand the desire to want to ask the question but you also can't ask that question (laughs) well in 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 a lot of ways it's sort of like what todd mulcahy's uh fiance did of like go explore your feelings and so it's funny that like this is that same situation again like i need to go put myself in this very sexy situation to find out and it's like no you really don't like todd mulcahy don't go like find felicity like (laughs) noel don't go to hannah's room in like the rain and like yep yep yep. (laughs) it's the whole thing it's it's ridiculous it's it's i mean again it's great TV. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it but it's definitely it does make you go Felicity, you need to respect yourself enough to not allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, she does find a way to respect herself. It's just with that totally. sex with Eli in the studio. Big fan, big fan. <laughs> um I also like that Felicity seeing Ben supporting Julie at the open mic is what makes her reevaluate her relationship mm-hmm. with Noel. And and that it's uh, wordless. This show actually does a really good yeah. job. And again, this is a testament to not just the, the writing directing, but also the acting of how Carrie Russell is able to tell you a story without saying a word. Like you It's also exactly such a testament to what, t- how TV was becoming more like movies. And that's what was so exciting to me about Felicity and about this time. Like when you look at the way that Larry directed those <laughs> scenes, like the camera is moving. Yeah. There's, you know, He's, he's using the camera and these looks to tell a story, which you just never had on television really before. You know, sitcoms, the cameras are static. It's just dialogue. And this, it, they, every Felicity every week really did feel like a small movie to me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I totally agree. And I feel like in its own way, JJ Abrams really kind of changed the way that we watch television. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- that kind of goes without saying, but I mean, just on a production level, to your point, the totally. scope that he was able to convey on broadcast dollars. I mean, I think about Alias traveling all around the world and never leaving Los Angeles for five seasons is unbelievable. Um, you know, obviously Lost was in Hawaii, but, but that being said, um, it's, it's really interesting, you know, looking at that pilot, um, that Matt Reeves is allowed to direct that pilot is kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but these two guys relatively, you know, unfettered were allowed to do what they want to do and made such a, to your point, a very visual show yeah. about not particularly exciting things, if you know what yes. I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really very impressive. Um, it's a little weird for Eli to show up at Felicity's dorm room and ask her to come to the studio. <laughs> Super weird. And also like, 
I don't, that again, like that would never happen today because you just get hammered with, we need to see our lead character be active. We need to see our lead character be active. So if that was happening today, Felicity would have gone to his, his door and knocked on his door, which I actually would have gone to the studio. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know. I agree with you a hundred percent. It's, it was a little bit like a little convenient. (laughs) We need him to do this. So he's going to do this. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> again, sort of feeling like a, a 90s trope of a uh, guy drawing girl, sketching yes. girl. <laughs> that Titanic moment. <laughs> it, does, it definitely feels a little bit like she falls from And they did it on her. Dawson's Creek, too, with Joey drawing. <laughs> I can't even remember his name. Uh, uh, Kerr Smith, whatever. Uh, yeah. So it's it's just again it's a little it's a little bit on the nose, but I'm fine with it. Uh, it's it's also um, and I'm, I'm sure you noticed this too. Uh, the music rights to the songs have been lost. Yeah, uh, which is such a bummer. Time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so a lot of the um, emotional component that you get from these songs is is a little rounded off, which is a bummer. Um, but in particular, when he's drawing her. It's just sort of like you really need whatever that top 40 song was that they were playing in the background to really kind of make it sing. And that's another thing that made this show and the shows that were starting these one hour dramas on the WB made them feel really current and special was the music because like you, I think back to like all the shows that were on TV when I was growing up and anytime you'd hear a song, like they're at a party and it's just some like ND, like public <laughs> yep. domain, yep. like <laughs> terrible. And so the fact that they were, you know, everything's a needle drop and like they're listening to songs that you're then going to go out and like buy the Felicity soundtrack yep. Yep. just made it feel really current and made it feel really real. It's also, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, music, music supervision is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And as, I'm sure, as you, as you very well know, with, with the shows Huge, that we've worked yeah. on, because you just, you, A, you want it to feel real, but B, you want really good music. You want music yeah. that people know that's going to just trigger what you want. And, and it's, it's so unfortunate that it feels like something happened in the, I guess it was the mid 2000s when music rights became either too expensive or studios just saw an opportunity to spend less money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had sort of that crest of the wave was probably Grey's Anatomy in a lot of ways. That mm-hmm. soundtrack was huge. That music was huge. And then from that point on, it's just felt like we're now in a place where I don't know about you, but the studios just don't want to pay for music. No, they don't want to pay for music, All, but then they still want everything to be a needle drop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Shocking we, that they want both. Yeah. On the bull type, our music supervisor, Rob Lowry, is just so good at he would find like these songs that and make them hits and right. make them feel, you know, but so we weren't listening to really, you know, things that would necessarily be on the radio, but it felt like it. And that's it's, kind it's, of the way you have to do it now. For these library titles, though, um, I don't know about you, but it just, it's, the one that really was tough for me was Dawson's Creek losing the Paula Cole song. Yeah. And it's just, you don't realize how much that smash to credits with that Paula Cole song makes that show. 
Well, if we it, no, that's so true. And same thing with Parenthood. We lost Bob Dylan. Oh, that's right. The, that's right. To, the, to the, the DVDs. My dad called me um, after getting off a flight. One. This was several <laughs> years ago because they were showing Parenthood on the flight. And he calls me and he goes, what happened to Bob Dylan? And I was like, what do you mean? Did something happen? To, what happened to Bob Dylan? I'm like, <laughs> like, I had to explain to him, oh, like, you made, the, the deals are made differently. Like, it couldn't, you know. It's so funny you say that because I had almost the exact same thing happen with my parents who were also also watching Parenthood uh, whenever, (laughs) whatever, either. I don't know if it was, it might've been the DVDs quite honestly. And I remember my mom called me and said, why did they get rid of the Bob Dylan song? And I said, they didn't get, I mean, they didn't consciously want to get rid of it. I'm sure it was a music thing. And then I think it's back now. The Bob Dylan oh, song, is I think, it? is back on Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's interesting. Because, yeah, uh, Jason always knew that it was, uh, it would only be, it, the, he could only afford to have it on TV, but he just wanted right. it so badly he was willing to. Which is fair. Yeah. Make the confession. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't, I, yeah. I mean, maybe I feel like it's back on Hulu and maybe it'll be on Peacock. Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> on the cock. Oh, uh, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Wow. I haven't heard that, but that's amazing. Everybody. How have you not heard that? I swear. This is the first time I've heard it. Oh my God. As soon as they're like, we're going to call it the Peacock Network. Everybody's like, great. Are you watching the cock? cock? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, So the last act of of the episode is the two stories playing parallel to each other, which again plays to the theme of Mm -hmm. music and the fugue and all of that. And it, it nicely cuts back and forth between these two things. Um, and you know, I, I like that Eli asks if Felicity, cause that's consent. Consent. So I I appreciated that um, and that she obviously uh, makes the decision to go forward. And I also think that, um, of course, Noel stops. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, I, but let's not let him off the hook. No, no, no. I'm not not off the hook. I'm, I'm really not. I just, I think in his character, I buy that he would not go through with it. I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at. Um, and I mean, obviously for, for, for plot, what have you, they need him not to, but, uh, I don't know. It worked for me. Did it work for you? It annoyed me. And I remember it annoying me in the next episode that he felt like because he didn't go through it, that he didn't do anything wrong. Whereas I yeah. feel like what he did was almost worse because yeah. Felicity was essentially broken up with when he walked out of that dorm room. So I feel like she had full free reign to go bone whoever she totally, wanted to. Totally agree. Whereas he was the one, like he knew what he was doing going to that apartment. And then he made the move yep. with her and like, I don't care that he stopped it. Like he had the, um, he had the emotional affair. Whereas hers really, like I, I did not buy that. I don't think she was emotionally connected to Eli. And that's oh, fine. Yeah. I mean, you see that in the next episode when she basically kicks him to the curb and she's like, that yeah. was nice. But yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Noel comes across as very sanctimonious in the next episode. Yes. Um, yeah, I remember that. Which is which sucks. Um, you know, he he certainly feels as though he deserves some sort of a gold star for having not followed through with the the physical act, but to your point, the emotional yeah. is worse. Um it's also and, and and I think it's it's well written, even if I don't even if I don't agree with Noel, that a man would find the physical yes. component the totally. worst thing. Um, so I, I think that that's, 
I think it's good writing. I think it's good TV, even if it makes me not like what it is. No, that's super interesting. That goes back to what you pointed out about that line Felicity said about talking. And there's a lot in there. And it is interesting how women and men see it differently. And Ben or Noel is just like, yeah, because I didn't go through with it. I'm I'm amazing. It's like, no. (laughs) Well, it makes me think, actually, you you brought up uh, Tom Mulcahy. But even in that episode, when Todd shows up and Noel and Ben are like, just kiss him. Who cares? And you're like... No. no, yeah, no. What don't you understand about that? Yeah, it's very strange. Like you had a whole rape storyline. You learned things. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, well, yeah, they're they're slow learners. The guys on this yeah. show. Yeah, but it's. But uh, it was also it's a very very different time. Yes, yes. I mean, and and, and this show, I you know, uh, to come back around feels like. Uh, a rare show, even in the landscape that it existed in, you know, it's, I I remember as I'm sure you do too, when this launch of this show happened, the critics were fawning all over the show. I mean, people loved this show. Um, And I think there was something special about it uh, in, in, in sort of the, the Kadams-esque kind of way of finding a way to make this relatively low stakes stuff feel very real. Completely, especially with everything else on the WB, which was, you know, really fun, but really, really soapy and really outrageous choices. And yeah, Felicity, everything just felt so grounded and there, there really wasn't anything like it at the time. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really funny. I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast doing these episodes with everybody, but it's also just making me sort of reevaluate it each week has just been a lot of fun of seeing why it was different. Even at the time, it felt kind of akin to a WB show. But now with a little bit of distance, you see just how much it kind of stood out from the crowd a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a more mature, more subtle show. Definitely more my kind of show. Yes, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, I thank you so much for doing this, Sarah. I really thank you. This it. was super fun. I could um, talk about City anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that you, we have lots of other television to cover as well in 1999. So we, I hope that yeah, you come back and talk about it. Big year. Well, it was my first year working in TV. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's a perspective that I very much would like to have since a lot of people are talking about it as viewers. I'd love to hear. What <laughs> you can hear the old, the old lady talk about no, what it was actually like back in the 90s. That's not what I meant, just to be very clear. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Sarah, uh, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey. 
Hey everyone. So uh, that was uh, that was Sarah Watson talking about the fugue with me, and now uh, we have Lawrence Trilling, the director of the episode, uh, to talk about what it was like making the episode. Uh, welcome back to podcast. Like it's 1999. Uh, I'm your host Phil Iskov, and uh, with us today we have uh, EP director Lawrence Trilling, who directed the episode we just talked about with Sarah Watson, the fugue. He's also uh, an EP director on Alias and Parenthood, Pushing Daisies, showrunner uh, on Goliath on Amazon. Uh, some of your favorite shows. I'm really, really thrilled to have you here. So thank you so much, Lawrence, for doing this. Oh, it's a pleasure. So um, I think the best place to start would be how Felicity came into your life. Well, Felicity uh, came into my life as a blessing. You know, um, I actually knew Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams uh, growing up. So Matt and I are friends from junior high school. And uh, and I met, you know, J.J. the same way Matt did through a student film festival that we had, you know, Matt and I had made a film together and J.J. made a film and we all met at this at this festival. And, um, you know, we had become friends and... Uh, Matt and JJ subsequently became collaborators on Felicity, and I had made a uh, an independent feature film called Dinner and Driving, which was doing the sort of uh, festival circuit at the time, and they liked it and gave me a shot. And uh, Felicity, The Fugue, was my very first uh, episode of television as a as a director. I mean, I, I have to say, and, and I'm not just saying this because I have you on as a guest, but it really is one of my favorite episodes of the show, and it, and it, it really feels like. Um, I don't want to say a turning point, but it certainly is uh, a seismic episode for the show. Not just because of, of the subject matter in terms of the fact that it kind of blows up Noel and Felicity's relationship and sends us on kind of a trajectory for the, for the remaining episodes of season one, but um, it just, it's, it's a really beautiful episode of TV. And I think that um, similar to, to the show just in general, but it really starts to find its footing around this point for me. Like this is when the show really starts to understand. Um, I think uh, it's kind of at the peak of its powers a little bit. And, and I sort of, I, I'm wondering what it was like for you to uh, come into a show. Cause as a, as a, as a director, it has to be a different animal a little bit than it is for writers. You know, in TV, the writers are the ones that sort of see the, the big picture of, you know, the arcs and sort of what, what a season of television is like. And then as a director, you kind of jump in, you know, <laughs> it's absolutely a little bit and you're sort of throwing these scripts what, what what was that like for you well it's interesting because normally you know what you're saying is spot on about how a director engages uh with an episode of television if he or she is coming on as a guest director you know normally you'd come in having watched episodes of the show and you would um then ha- get your script which you didn't necessarily have any input in to what it was going to be and then you would um go about you know, preparing to shoot it and shooting it. We can get into that in detail if you want. But what's interesting about um, my Felicity journey was um, I came into the process quite a bit earlier than that because I had not directed on television before. And when I knew there was a possibility that I might get to direct an episode, I started to um, spend a lot of time at the show as a observer. Okay. And um, so I got more than the normal guest director's, uh, perspective in terms of seeing how the show was developing over the course of several episodes. I observed uh, JJ when he directed his Todd Mulcahy episodes and I was on set with him every minute and sort of got to understand the culture of the show really well and got to know the cast. And so I had an advantage uh, coming in that I'd spent a good amount of time there already. And of course you mentioned 
the beauty of, of that script. So to be able to get that as my first script was quite a tre- quite a, a pleasure and a treasure. I mean, in retrospect, we now know that it was a pivotal episode, but I think we sort of knew it on the page too that this was going to be a big turning point for the character of Felicity and for the the way that the show would uh, open up after that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because uh, I guess my, my other question is sort of coming into a first season show is also a very different animal too, right? I mean, as as you're, I'm sure, well acquainted with this, this idea of a show figuring itself out and, and finding its voice and your actors sort of getting the rhythms and all that sort of stuff. So for you to come into a season one show, there's also, there's more pressure, I, I guess is what I'm saying, than there is on future seasons. Now you did 14 episodes of Felicity over its, over its four seasons. So you, <laughs> you stuck around for a while. So obviously you clicked with the material. What do you think it was about the material that worked so well for you? Well, I mean, it was a kind of a perfect storm of, you know, the the show's about discovery, right? So it's about coming of age. It's about people finding their voices, about finding their sexuality, about finding their, their intellect, their, their moral code. And so, you know, we really were kind of living that behind the camera in the same way that the show was going on in front of the camera in the sense that the cast were really pretty much close to the ages of the characters they were playing. And all of us writers and producers were very young too. I mean, maybe, eight or nine years removed from that era of our lives as well. So I think that, uh, th- that, that was a, really the way in to, um, it was how close the, the experiences felt to our real lives and, you know, certainly emotionally, if not narratively. And, um, you know, yes, I did wind up getting a, you know, an intimate deep dive after I did that first episode in the first season, I did become a producer on the show and I did spend time in the writer's room. I even wrote an episode of the show and um, so I did get to the treat of becoming more of an insider after, after being invited as a guest. Sure. I mean, that's, and I mean, that, that's, it's a tremendous thing. And it's also interesting. I mean, I, as, as a, we spoke a little bit before, but I'm, I'm hoping that you'll come back as well. Cause I want to talk about, you know, the other episodes that you were, that you were involved with uh, specifically uh, the series finale, or I guess the mm-hmm. second series finale, depending on. Correct. Mm-hmm. There's a story behind that. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I, I also just, you know, it, it's interesting sort of to see we're catching the show and by we, I mean, this mini series is, is really sort of showing the, uh, the, the infamous haircut, the top of season two, um, you, you know, the show is trying to sort of shake itself up and, and take some big, some big swings and big chances, which it continues to do. And, and I, I would say is a hallmark of JJ's work, you know, after Felicity as well, of mm-hmm. just sort of taking those big swings. Um, but with this show and, or at least, at least this episode with the fugue, you know, you're seeing, um, that sort of the big seismic thing is, is Felicity's virg- virginity. Um, right. And I guess my, my question is, you know, this is subject matter that could have felt a little treacly or a little after school, especially in, in the wrong hands. And I think that the script handles it incredibly well. I think obviously you directed it really beautifully, but how did you come at that subject matter in a way that, that made it feel real and genuine, but also like good television? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, there really is a kind of um, unembarrassed earnestness about the show. And I yeah. think so. Um, and yet, you're right. We're, you know, it's kind of riding right up to the edge of of going into treacle. But I think you know a few things prevented that. One is you know you have this incredible cast, and I mean Carrie particularly, who is just so rock solid in terms of landing the reality of things emotionally. I mean, for someone to be that beautiful and to still feel like a kind of nerdy underdog is <laughs> almost an unprecedented feat in television. You know. Yeah. Um, 
And so you you very much uh, are, are on this sort of nervy, raw edge of her anxiety and her desire. And I think that the show uh, succeeds because it takes all those feelings really seriously. And I think that... Um, but also having a sense of humor about it. I mean, there's a sort of knowingness about the sort of um, delicious narcissism of 20 year old angst, you know? And, um, you know, I think that when you look at the sort of narrative moves of the show, they're, they're very small, you know, it, it, both episodically within this episode and even in the series, the show is really about examining the micro emotional nuances of moments. I mean, the, almost every scene in the show feels like open starts with someone knocking at a door, opening the door and saying, Hey, Hey, and some version of checking in emotionally. Are you doing okay? Sure. Am I doing okay? And how, did I hurt your feelings and how, and there's a great, all the, I think another thing that really uh, is good about the show is that it, the characters all have a very high EQ, you know, they're very emotionally attuned. And so there's a lot of sort of. Some might say too uh, emotionally attuned. <laughs> well, absolutely. Nice. I mean, almost, almost too. And I think that there was an SNL satire of, of it. So of, yeah. of that. So it's like, it's these <laughs> characters are calibrating their emotions in this very sincere way that is, you know, it's sort of wonderful and ridiculous at the same time. But I think because. Um, you know, we actually settle in on that and kind of make that what the show is about, as opposed to the show being about, like, is she going to do the hot new guy from the art studio? I mean, you, it could it could be positioned that way, yeah. but it isn't. It's, it, you know, it's positioned much more about the, the vibration of feeling someone come near and what, and what those looks are and what, and it's about desire and longing and belonging, you know, and I think that it examines those things in a really a nuanced way. I, I, I fully agree. It also feels like it's very much a show about identity. I mean, specifically Felicity's identity, figuring out who you are, right? I mean, every coming of age show is about trying to figure out the person that you want to be. And I think this episode really kind of obviously hones in on the idea of virginity and, and, and how Felicity wants to define herself within this sort of, uh, I guess love triangle of sorts that she's in, that she's a part of. Um, Eli being sort of this outlier, the, the art student sort of, you know, being the, the wrench in that, in the, the Ben Noel Felicity love triangle. But I think it's really interesting. And, and again, this, this comes back to sort of how thoughtful the show is, you know, back in 99, the show was dinged a little bit for, for it being a show about a girl who chases a boy, but it's not really about that. I mean, Ben's sort of an excuse for Felicity to figure out, the person that she wants to be. And I think in this situation, and by this, I mean the fugue, you know, she does call Noel, you know, she calls him one more time at the end of the episode. You know what I mean? Just to just, just in that one sort of hope that maybe he picks up the phone and that they can find their way through, you know, the rough, the rough waters that they're in. Um, but then she makes the conscious decision, you know, Eli, first of all, asks, which I appreciate, <laughs> you know, consent is a very big yeah. thing. And, and I think that that's, that's, that shows to me how thoughtful the show was in 1999 about issues that are complex. And, and I, I really respect that about the show. So I guess the question I have for you is sort of how did you approach that? Not, not specifically that scene, but just knowing that you were handling subject matter that is a little, it's a little tricky. Yeah. I mean, I think it all has to do with um, the idea that Felicity has always has agency, you know, that yeah. she is, you know, if you go back to what you said, which is sort of the foundational conceit of the show is that she throws this, you know, her life away to go chase a boy in New York. It's really not about that. It's about shrugging off the expectations of her parents 
and about the kind of expect, you know, in a way it's like the graduate, you know, and in, 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 um, in that Benjamin Braddock is shrugging off, you know, all of his accomplishment to go off into the wild blue yonder. And in a way, Felicity is doing the same sort of in the cloak of a much more conventional person, but she's throughout the series, she makes, very bold um, choices for herself. And they're really choices that she's in control of, you know? And um, I think that in terms of how she navigates um, her romantic uh, pickle in the episode is, you know, to be pretty fair with Noel, you know, just to acknowledge that, um, okay, you have some lingering feelings for this old girlfriend of yours. And then she kind of is wrestling openly wrestling with what right does she have to confront him about it? And ultimately comes to the, conclusion that she's she has a, a right to confront him about it and i think it was really important for us to 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 show that she wasn't just pivoting off of jealousy um into this other experience with eli but that something was was cracking open in her and that that was that she had spent all this energy to kind of calibrate her relationship with noel and like should she sleep with him or not. And she even says to him when they are breaking up, I'm so glad I didn't give that much of myself to someone who's so conflicted. Mm -hmm. You know, now that's been cracked open that as a proposition, is that the proposition that requires uh, sexual exploration that you have to have uh, earned it through all of this, you know, points in a relationship. So no, so because she's vulnerable and also because um, Eli's awakening a creativity in her, which she's afraid of, you know, which is being the artist, you know, when she's supposed to be the doctor and all that stuff, her, um, you know, this is a, a leap for her into, into self-knowledge, which she's going to get, you know, through partially through sexuality and partially through creative exploration and just new experience. And we really were careful to navigate, you know, as yeah, I recall that- with Carrie, how, how she would, be uh, vulnerable yet empowered, you know, and I think you mentioned the phone call, you know, that she's in control. She's not, she's not doing this thing uh, from a place of weakness, but from a place of strength. You know, it's, I, I also, you mentioned the, the breakup scene, which, which sort of pivots to an interesting thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is, I love that the, the, and I say breakup, I put that in quotation marks because like all good broadcast television, it's not cut and dry. Right. <laughs> Just to leave as many options open as possible. Um, but I do love that, that, that there's a moral gray zone there, that there's both sides to the argument. Um, both sides are, are valid, even if you don't agree with them. And, and Sarah Watson brought up something really interesting. Um, she t- said that Jason Kadams believes in good characters making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's finding that balance. And I guess my question to you is having worked also in the Jason Kadams universe as well, you know, how do you strike that balance? How do you find that balance between, you know, characters making bad decisions that don't seem outlandish and the, and, and protecting the characters at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it's really what makes uh, Jason Kadam's characters or Matt and JJ characters interesting is their emotional and moral complexity, right? But I think, I mean, first of all, when you cast deeply likable people like Harry <laughs> Russell sure. or Scott Foley or Scott Speedman, yeah. um, you they can they can screw up and you're going to go along with them if they don't yeah. do anything too heinous. But I think <laughs> the other thing is to be uh, in their skin a little bit and understand why they would make the mistakes they would make. I think almost all of us have uh, someone from our past that's still meaningful to us and that, you know, we still think about and, and to play out that little moral dilemma of what would happen if that person really came back into my life in a direct way? How would I handle that? I think sure. it's, it's very relatable. And even though Noel, uh, one could say he's really being, you know, 
kind of a dick or, you know, wishy-washy, wishy-washy, make up your mind, don't stop trying to have it both ways. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, I think the other part of the, what, what makes it, uh, what makes us sympathize is the youth. I mean, that's a, he's an image, still an immature guy, but I think that, you know, it's also these characters are written with redeeming, such redeeming qualities that when they do make those mistakes, we go along with them and somehow we even like them more when we, you know, we kind of own them as we get mad at them and then we forgive them. And I think going through all that is like, you're invited into the family. That was certainly the way it worked on parenthood. And I think it worked the same way in Felicity is like, you're in the family with this constellation of friends. And so just like you would with your own family, you're going to get mad at them. But at the same time, you're always going to love them unconditionally. I think it also weirdly gives us as viewers, the freedom to make mistakes ourselves. Do you know what I mean? This idea yes. like, that, you know, that the characters that we love, um, make mistakes and that you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. You know, I, I, and I think that that's one of the things that I love about Jason Kadem's shows and, and obviously about, uh, uh, Felicity, but just that, that messiness, the embracing of it, but not to the place of, of ridiculous soap. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that, that's that, that finding that balance. I mean, one of the things I love about Friday Night Lights is that that marriage is so, real and it never tips over into a place of you never question whether or not they would ever step outside their marriage or any of those things uh it right. just feels so real um and these characters feel so real and so genuine um you know it, it it's it, it makes me think about um there's a there's a beautiful moment in this show which at the time was sort of perhaps mocked a little bit for for the pregnant pauses and for the for the fact that it kind of sits in moments but i adore that about it and i miss it I mean, I don't know about you, but the, you're not allowed air anymore in television. You're not allowed to sort of like take a set, at least on broadcast TV, to take a second to allow characters to just sit and stew in a moment. And one of the moments that I love in the fugue is when Felicity goes to see Julie perform and she sees Ben show up for Julie. And that makes her question her relationship with Noel. And like, it's wordless. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't, it, it, you just get it just based on her looking and there's no shortage of, of moments in Felicity where she looks at Ben and Noel, that's for sure. But, but I do love that Carrie and you are able to convey that so beautifully without words. You know, were there words in that scene? Did it, was it, was it meant to be just a look? I mean, how, how was that? How it was that written that way. And it was something that I was really uh, excited about from this moment I got the script and, and what it brought to mind for me when I, I originally was um, Nashville, actually, the movie. And there's a scene uh, where Keith Carradine sings to Lily Tomlin. He sings this beautiful song, I'm Easy. And it's um, basically they're falling in love with each other while he performs on stage. And so I use that as a kind of template with the sort of with the slow zooms and with the, you know, the longing and the looks and all of that as a way to convey wordlessly all of what was all of that desire. But that that to me was... Um, something that I was really proud of. And I think that you're right. I mean, the, the sort of moments between the moments of this sort of wordless uh, longing and connection that I think was a hallmark of the show uh, is something that you don't see that often. And, um, and Jason does it also beautifully on Friday Night Lights and on Parenthood, but especially it goes back to that thing we were talking about earlier, which is if you have sort of lower stakes narratively for characters, you know, 
you rely on these little moments of connection because that's where you're going to get your emotional breakthroughs. We're not having wild pivots of characters, you know, everyone sleeping with everyone, people cheating on each other. This, you know, it's not this, not when you don't have the big soap of, you know, some of the shows, some of the, you know, sort of teen shows that came after you can really, you have to lean on these quieter moments, which I think sort of feel more emotionally real anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, to, to quote uh, Cameron Crowe, uh, the little things, there's nothing bigger. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that the little moments are just so important um, and we don't embrace them enough, at least in broadcast television. It's nice to see streaming and cable, obviously changing that to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's really, it's really special. So um, here's, we're going to pivot for a second here, but uh, Jennifer Garner is in this episode, obviously. Um, now uh, she appeared uh, first in the Thanksgiving episode uh, in 1998. So we'll just, we'll just say that happened, but in 99, mm-hmm. she shows up in the feud. Um, you know, you've obviously worked with a lot of guest stars, um, but she just, you know, obviously jumps off the screen. I mean, she feels like a, a star in and of herself, which she ultimately obviously becomes. Um, right. But, you know, what is it like working with guest stars? What is it like bringing in, you know, uh, uh, something that an, an agent of chaos, if you will, into your television show? And how do you sort of delicately fold them into that universe? That's a great question. I mean, generally speaking, if you're going to have a character come into a world that is, um, you know, a sort of semi-established, and I say semi because we were still early on in the days of, of Felicity, and so everything was still a discovery, but still she was there when there'd been a certain amount of uh, momentum already. You spend a little more time with the guest star than you would with a normal cast member in your prep process. You may, you know, I make sure to find them to say, look, this is, you're new to the show. This is what's going on. You know, do you have questions? Do you have thoughts even sometimes available to, you know, and I would be available to the the regular cast as well, but generally they're too busy shooting the current episode while I'm prepping and B, they're feeling pretty comfortable and say, we'll deal with stuff on the day. But I tend to spend more prep time with a guest, an incoming guest star to sort of give them context and, um, and sort of talk through what the dimensions of the character in that arc might be. In the case of Jennifer, you know, it was such a natural fit in so many ways. I mean, she and Scott were uh, already a couple by the time they have, may have met on the Thanksgiving episode or started dating them. I, I believe that was the case, but they were certainly a couple by the time we did the feud. And um, she was kind of part of the family already. And of course, JJ was creatively falling in love with her and about and conceiving of, <laughs> her to be the star of Alias. So she was very much uh, folding in in a way that wasn't the normal guest star experience. But yes, you know, you can see what she does right away, the way way she pops and the way that she is a wonderful counterpoint and foil to Felicity because there's a much more of a, uh, I don't know, a confidence and there's a less stammering. It's more, she's much more willing to put what she wants out there, but then there's also a sweetness to her as well. So she doesn't at all feel like uh, the manipulator. Yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 so true because I, you know, uh, in lesser hands, this role of the ex girlfriend who comes back to you know to to throw a, a wrench into the relationship um, would have been broader, perhaps. Certainly, would have been a lot more mustache twirly. Um, and, and this this doesn't feel that way. And and a lot of it obviously is on the page and in the way it's directed, but so much of it is in in how 
how wonderful an actress uh, Jennifer is as well. Um, so, you know, a, a lot has been made of the fact that, that uh, you know, in season two, there was a lot of struggles in terms of coming up with story. And, and uh, you know, the, the rumor is that JJ at one point said, why can't we just make Felicity a spy? And, and thus Alias sort of came to be in some form or another. I'm sure that's the truncated version of it. But uh, how is it, I mean, and this is kind of an obvious question to some degree, but how different is it directing an episode of Alias than it is directing an episode of Felicity? You know, what are those two, what's it like uh, directing two very different television shows? Well, it's interesting, you know, on the one hand, it couldn't be more different in terms of the scale, the scope and what's being demanded of you in a day of shooting, you know? So the toolkit of a director uh, has to be significantly deeper uh, to do an episode of Alias. You know, you have to become familiar with, visual effects, stunts, fighting, uh, crowd scenes, you know, sure. and you ha- and the ambition of the show to pull it off on a TV schedule was particularly challenging. So uh, from that standpoint, um, it was much more challenging than Felicity, um, although because it was a JJ show, like, like Felicity, you know, at the end of the day, it was really still about landing moments between characters, you know, it's still about Jennifer's longing for Michael Vartan or longing to develop a rela- you know relationship with her father or how to keep a secret alive to her roommate or to Bradley Cooper or, you know so sure. you know those there was still a lot of felicity in it you know in terms of the the kind of inter character dynamics and so the the emotional tools of dealing with characters and performance was was really analogous but just much bigger scale and much more demanded in terms of what you had to accomplish in a day of work yeah, I mean, I I am very excited for for Alias to come back to Amazon in a couple of weeks because I'm I'd like to rewatch it actually. But you know that the scale and the scope of that show, you know, just in terms of the fact that you had to convey that you were globe trotting and never leaving Los Angeles is is a pretty impressive. I mean, I, I I'm assuming the the, show, the whole show shot in L.A. or what were there? It did, it did. Yeah, which yeah, is an incredible was, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a, and a real feat of. Um, you know, production design and visual effects. And, you know, especially when you're talking about visual effects from 20 years ago, we were sure. <laughs> certainly on the vanguard of television visual effects, you know, and, and um, some of the stuff that we pulled up was, um, was hadn't been done before. And it was really thrilling to be part of. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a tremendous show and it's, it's a, uh it's really funny to watch those first couple episodes of Alias and see how uh, it kind of is if Felicity was a spy. <laughs> and I say that with nothing but but love for the show. Um, but there is sort of this, you, you do feel it kind of being pulled in two directions. Eventually it just completely gives up on the whole school component and the whole like the Felicity component dies and, and it fully becomes its own thing. But it is, it is funny right. to watch that transition. Um, so one of the other things that I think is interesting uh, is how is the music rights, music cues from Felicity. You know, uh, it was, it was um, unfortunately, a lot of the rights aren't available now. So there's a lot of new music cues on the streaming versions of, of Felicity mm-hmm. and even on the DVD sets. Um, how big a deal was that for you? Were you talking with the music supervisor at the time and trying to sort of figure out different songs that you want to use? I'm assuming that stuff was, was, was run by you to some degree. Yes, I mean some things were you know, we'd know about ahead of time. You know, in the so, you know JJ was and Matt both were very big music fans, and sometimes songs would be written into the script, but more often we would find things in post production. And you know, there's a kind of uh, thing that was going on at the same time as Felicity, which was really the preeminence of the KCRW as a radio station in Los Angeles, as the public radio station. And a show, particularly a show called Morning Becomes Eclectic, mm-hmm. which was hosted by Chris Doritas, and who, who since became a big music supervisor. But I mean, 
if you look at television shows from that era, they're heavily influenced by the playlist of KCRW. Um, <laughs> I worked on Scrubs also, and we literally just we just took their playlist and put it in the show. You know, <laughs> so um, we really were. Um, you know, really like riding the zeitgeist of kind of, you know, sort of smart alternative pop that was happening at that time. And, uh, you know, between the, the, the score and the songs, I think that that gave Felicity sort of not only just a youthful vibe, but it gave it that very specifically kind of emotionally nuanced vibe that I think the songs, you know, really uh, enhanced. A hundred percent. You know, uh, thankfully, the the music rights are available on the DVDs for the pilot and the finale of season one. Those mm. are the they were. I guess they were willing to pay for those. Um, so watching the pilot again with those music cues, um, really, it just goes so far towards nostalgia. It just makes you feel really warm and fuzzy to get those songs from that time. Um, you know, it's it's just. It's just not the same. Uh, you know, what one show in particular, you know, Dawson's Creek losing the Paula Cole song in its credit sequences, it's just not the same show. Yeah. So it's, it, it really does feel like they, um, these, these studios really, in my humble opinion, should just pay the money and, and, and pony and, up, man. Yeah, seriously. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? I mean, shows now, I believe, pretty much get world, you know, all the rights for all, all time going forward, I think now. I don't think yes, it's happened now. But they also, they pay, yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, there, there's like this. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's a little weird, but it feels like we're in a stage now where hopefully they're finding some sort of a middle ground. So we'll see how, how things go forward. So I just want to, um, talk a little bit about, uh, how an episode of Felicity was made to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of, um, so you get the script and, you know, from, from the moment you get the script to when you deliver your director's cut, what's the what's the elapsing time like a few weeks probably it's a a few well uh it's about it's close to a month it's about four work four weeks and you know the first uh so we would it would take about eight days to shoot an episode of felicity um and usually it would spend that same number of days in prep so it would begin with uh on day one you have your script and you would sit down with your um assistant director and with the with the producer of the show and you kind of turn the pages and talk about what was anything that was out of the ordinary. I mean, anything that's shot on the usual sets that are already built. I mean, you talk about, but not in detail, but the things that come up as initial points of uh, concern or what needs to be accomplished is how do we find locations or build new sets, things that are not in the world of the show yet that are going to have to be accounted for. Um, you know, and and then the second part of that is casting. You know, who who isn't already in the cast? It's, his name is in the script, and how are we going to get them? So we spend the prep, those eight days of prep. You know, finding new locations, um, meeting with all the departments. You know, talking about uh, what are going to be the wardrobe. You know, what is the what's the Bohemian poet going to look like in the uh, Epstein Bar? You know, uh, what and uh, you know what what are going to be the different whatever comes up creatively in terms of props, costumes, design. You have various meetings with people, and then um, you also take creative meetings with the assistant director and kind of figure out how we're going to break down each day of shooting. I, you know, you work with the assistant director on a schedule. He will say, "Here's how we're going to. We have eight days to shoot all this fifty pages. Here's how I think we should break it up." You know, and then you're taking into various things into consideration. You know, both logistically and creatively about how you want to accomplish that. And by the time those eight days are up, you're ready to shoot and. Um, then you shoot for eight days, and then after that, you get about four days with your editor to deliver your director's cut to the producers. 
It's it's so funny to to hear you walk through that. I mean, I, I obviously know these things, but I just I don't think people know how hard it is to make a television show. Like, I, I how quickly you have to make a television show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it you really are making a, a short film, you know. And 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 I just uh, there's a part of me I'm torn between wanting our audience to know how hard it is to make a show and not mm-hmm. wanting them to know, right? So they can enjoy it for what it is. It's just it's just funny to hear you to hear you walk through it, but it is it it's just a. Uh, it's a real process and, and there are hundreds of people involved in the making of a television show. Um, oh, yeah. And the thing that I get asked probably more than anything else is, you know, like, why do you need multiple directors on a show? Why can't one person just direct all the episodes? And, you know, and I, so then what I just described helps get the, well, there's so many, the ball is rolling, especially in a network show, yeah. the ball is rolling at such a speed that there's preparation for shooting, shooting and post-production happening all at the same time. So if one person's going to be, stewarding an entire episode they can't be doing all three things at the same time so thus the need for multiple directors unless you know in the case of goliath which i'm doing now we have all the scripts written ahead of time so in season three i did direct every episode but that's the only way that that's possible you know but it certainly was not possible in felicity yeah, I mean, broadcast. It's it's you know the, the the irony is people are like, why can't one person direct all episodes, and also why can't you be making them all the time? Why can't I always have my favorite television show on the air? I mean, if right. I had a nickel for every time, you know, my mother would say to me, you know, so when you know when's it coming back? Like, why is, why did it have to go away? I'm like, so people can make the thing. <laughs> like, it's, right. just, it's not it's, it's so. Um, but uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask was, so when you get the script, are you thinking about? Like thematically, this episode is a lot about sort of the fusion of art and love. This idea of Hannah's, you know, the episode is called The Fugue, which is this piece of music that Hannah is working on. And this idea of sort of parallel pieces of music, parallel love stories. Um, there's a lot of really nice thematics going on in the episode. And I'm assuming that when you read a script for any show, you've got to be in the back of your head thinking about sort of what the episode is trying to say, right? On a, on a, on a, on a bigger picture. Is that something that you do? Absolutely. I mean, typically when I'm coming in to direct something, I'll read a script several times through with no agenda, just to kind of let this material seep into me. And then, you know, things will kind of bubble up, whether they're visual ideas or thematic ideas, but typically sort of the visual ideas and how I want to stage something will come later. And it's more really feeling the sort of what the character's journeys are, and then sort of what the thematics are. And in this case, it was laid out so nicely that the the whole idea of the fugue of a counter contrapuntal story that was structured that way gave, you know, gave me my way in um, visually and thematically, which is like how to, how to create a counterpoint. That's my dog. Yeah, I, t- I assumed as much. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jim, can you quiet the dog, please? Um, sorry about that. Um, no, it's, all, it's all good. No worries. Um, so, yeah. So, like, the visual counterpoints there mm-hmm. between Noel's world and Felicity's world, and, of course, having the piece of music, having the feud. So that was a big part of how we were going to design it too is that we needed someone to, to pre-record that piece of music right. so that I could then kind of map out and chart out where visually the transitions would be happening from one scene to another. So, you know, I was very lucky in this particular episode to have something like that to anchor me, but short of that, typically going into an episode, you're looking for thematic elements that are then going to give you your visual ideas from there. Yeah, I mean, the show beautifully uh, crescendos, for lack of a better way of putting it, at the end of the episode, where you really get to sort of cross cut between these two stories as this music. It's 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 a really it's a really beautifully written and and executed episode of television. So um, I, I hope that you're still happy with it. I hope it still holds up for you because it holds up for me. 
You know what? It's very, I thank you for saying that. And it means a lot. It's very hard to separate how much it meant to me personally to be given a shot to direct and that it was essentially well-received and led to me doing more work. So <laughs> it means the world to me on that level. And then I was able to, with all this distance and perspective, actually able to enjoy it creatively as well. So thank you for saying that. Of course, of course. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I, I hope that you'll come back so we can talk about uh, season two and, and, and the and the 13 other episodes of Felicity that you did. Um, Anytime. But, but I, I really do appreciate it, Lawrence. And, uh, and uh, I look forward to talking again. My pleasure, Phil. Thanks. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it. 1999. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.